Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Okay, we're going to put a, a passage up on the uh, on the screen from the Bible. You can also, if you want, if you've got a real Bible, you can open it and have a look. It's in Gospel of Luke and Chapter Seven. We're going to be looking at what happened one night when um, Jesus had an invitation to go to dinner with uh, a Pharisee, a guy called Simon. It's in Luke Chapter Seven. But so you can read that as I'm talking a little bit if you want. You probably will be doing. But let me give you some background. Let me set the scene if you like. Um, for you. Simon the Pharisee is inviting Jesus to dinner and when I read that I think well that's strange because they weren't kind of known as friends were they? If if you've ever read anything about the Bible you're going to know that Pharisees and Jesus didn't tend to get on usually. There wasn't much of a meeting of minds between them. There was more of a kind of butting of heads very often and um, so what is a Pharisee? Some people are, I don't even, that's fine for you to know that. I don't know what it is. What's a Pharisee? Well, a Pharisee literally means a separate one, a set-apart one. That's what they named themselves as. They, uh, they, they started out a couple of hundred years before um, this happened. They'd been established in Judaism, which was the religion of the time in, in Judea and uh, Israel. Um, and around the time when uh, they were being invaded by other people, not just uh, the Romans, but before them, the Greeks, this tribe of people, this, which became thousands of, of people actually, ended up saying, do you know what, the, the, the Bible really matters to us. What God teaches in the Bible really matters to us. And we, we're not gonna mess about with that. So we're going to set ourselves apart for God. And uh, we're going to be really serious about, uh, about pursuing him and doing what he says in the Bible. So you have this um, religious group, and I've just realized that my, my iPad has just died, which is like the worst possible thing that ever could have happened. So we, got, we need a lead, but we also need a charger. Thank you very much. I'll keep talking while that happens, but that just shows you should always charge it up. Here we go. Here's Andy to the rescue. Look at this. He's not messing about. So you have this group of people, the Pharisees, and they are in, incredibly moral, and they're all about the Bible. They are the really Bible people. And um, they, they decide that the best way to be is, you know, if you don't want to spoil your relationship with God, then you don't want to get tainted by anything or anybody else that might be tainted, if you like. So, they, they, so it's like, if you've got a disease, and I've not got a disease, I'm not going to go near you. Like my son-in-law, Lawrence, was, uh, he had, last night he had some sort of food poisoning thing, probably, and was being sick all night. And Zoe, Hannah rang and said to um, Zoe, uh, will you come and look after the kids? And uh, I was thinking, I hope she doesn't ask me. Because I'm like, I don't want to go to the house of sickness. <laughs> and Because uh, I don't know, they say it's food poisoning, it might be, but I just still don't want to catch what that is. So I became a separate one at that point, separated from, uh, from all that is unholy and sick in, the, in that household. 
Um, and uh, you know that's, that's kind of, in a way, a, a reasonable thing to do. You don't want to, to catch something. And they were living in this world, you see, where people were, uh, were totally opposed to God in all kinds of ways. And there was also a lot of, um, sort of people who would say, yeah, we're Jewish, but it was more of a, of a uh, just their, the way they were born rather than the way that they lived if you like. It was just a kind of, um, a, a, they were from, you know, yeah, I could tell you that my dad was a Jew, my grandfather was a Jew, etc., etc. but they didn't actually talk about God very much or have a real relationship with God. And these people said, we want a relationship with God. We want to be able to, to, to show that. So we're going to take the law really seriously. The, like, the first five books, especially, but also the other stuff, we're going to take that and we're going to um, make it really um, obvious to everybody else that we're separate, we're separated. And actually there's some things that we're not going to do, like we're not going to have any contact with Gentiles. A Gentile is like any other person who's not Jewish. We're not going to have anything to do with them. And we're going to be good and holy and we're going to show everybody why to do that. And we're, we're going to um, separate ourselves off from people who are irreligious Jews like that. We're not going to have anything to do with them. We're, we're not going to invite them round. We're not going to have anything to do with them, if you like, in their lives. And we're certainly not going to have anything to do with people that we would regard as sinners. And we're going to look at that specifically shortly. But there would be a class of people that would involve various people in, and it got more and more of them ended up in this box. But it was people who were, if you like, flagrantly, obviously disobeying God. If it was like, if you could, you know, you could see it, you could see the way these people lived, that they just didn't care about God. And so they would be, for instance, tax collectors, who would be people who would um, go and, and rip people off for money, showing that they would care about more, more about money. They would take the money from the Gentiles, which basically made them, meant that they were unclean and trade with them, that they would uh, use the coins, which had uh, emperor worship stuff written all over them and use that as their living. They would, they would do all those kind of things and, um, uh, and just sort of throw themselves in. And obviously there's all sorts of other people too who would, who would be you know, different kinds of sinners um, who Jesus ended up hanging about with a lot. And it infuriated them. And just before this, if you look up a little, just a few verses, it, it, Jesus is in trouble again for hanging around with those kind of people. And, uh, and it, it says that he gets this reputation as being a wine-bibber, to use an old, New King, an old King James Version, a wine-bibber and a glutton and a friend of sinners. And it's like, that's a bad thing, as far as they're concerned. The fact that he would be a friend of sinners means you're like, you're no friend of mine. And um, so all of that then leads to this uh, strange situation where somebody uh, invites Jesus round for a dinner and his name as I say is Simon and so it's an unusual and surprising that Simon would ask him but perhaps it's not so surprising that Jesus said yes because actually Jesus will go where he's invited and um, you know he doesn't go where he's not invited but he'll definitely go where he is invited and these people by this time had got all kinds of things and they'd kind of there's a thing that they called about putting a fence around the law because you know you could really boil down what the Old Testament said, Jesus did it into two things: love God and love people. It's like that sums it up. 
And if you really wanted to go heavy, well, he, he gave you 10 things. God gave you 10 things that were kind of thou shalt nots, a list of 10 things. Don't do that. So it wasn't actually that complicated. But then they would look at each one of these things and say, yeah, but what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Because I might inadvertently break it. I might be not wanting to do that, but I might, I might do this and that might break it. I'm not really sure. Can we, can we add things onto it to make sure that I don't break it? So they call this thing at that time, putting a fence around the law. It's like to show that I won't break it, I won't go anywhere near it. So let's, let's add to it. Let's make sure. So for instance, one of the ways that they would show that you loved God would be that you wouldn't break one of the laws in the 10, which was about the Sabbath, which was on one particular day of the week, you would uh, have a day off. And not just a day off, actually a day on worshipping God. That was the idea. It wasn't just that I rest, it was like, I'm going to devote myself fully to God during this day. I wish I could do it for seven days, but I've got things to do. I've got life to do. Six days. But on this one day, I'm going to set myself apart to, to focus on him. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to rest, recover, and be able to do all the rest of it better because I've spent this time sort of um, you know, sharpening the saw in order to be able to give myself to the rest of it. So that was the why they did it. It was to show that they really, really loved God, that they said, we're going to keep the Sabbath holy. But then people would say, well, all right, what don't we do? And they said, well, you don't work. And they said, well, what constitutes work? And the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees all got together. And they said, well, that would basically mean expenditure of energy. If you expend energy, you're working. And they were like, okay, well, how much energy? Because we've got to expend some energy. <laughs> you know, so how much is too much? And they said, well, for instance, you shouldn't walk too far. Well, that's great. How far is too far? Um, well, let's have a look in the Bible for our answers. In the Old Testament, there was a law that says that the Holy of Holies has to be situated 2,000 cubits from anybody's house. So that's about 1,000 yards. So 1,000 yards, 914 metres, for those of you who like metres, um, that became what they called a Sabbath day journey. You're not allowed to walk longer than that on a Sabbath. Now, does anybody remember what the point of this was? Why did they do this? To love God. To show, to show, it was meant to be something that, that I, would, I would love God. But now the Pharisees are saying, you shall not walk more than a thousand yards on a Sabbath day. I don't know if they had like their things on their phones <laughs> or something like that. They were, no, they probably didn't. But you know, it'd be like, kind of, oh, I've done my steps. You know, and I'm stuck now. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm here. I've done, sorry, I've done my steps. I can't even do 10,000. I only do one thousand. I don't know. But, but remember, what was the point? The intention was love, love God. But now something changed. And then some people came along and said, well, you know, to be honest with you, a thousand yards, it's not really that much. And we have got things to do. So can you help us out? Is there a bit of leeway on this? And they said, well, actually, yeah. We've decided that you don't measure from your house, you can measure from the border of your city. So that will give you a bit longer. Is that, is that, is that all right? A thousand yards from your city, and we'll mark that out as the boundary. And they went, oh, oh okay, but well, okay. is that like the best you can do, the people said. So the rabbis and the Pharisees and everybody said, okay, well, what you can do if you really want to is the day before the Sabbath, you can go and you can get a rock 
and we'll call that your house. It's like your second house, the rock. And if you take the rock, the second house, and you, on the, the day before the Sabbath, you, you go and you, you set it somewhere and you, you put some food under the rock. That's like, your, that shows it's your house. So now, where you put the rock is your other house. So you can walk to that, and then you've got, that gives you another thousand yards. Do you know what all this is? Nonsense. <laughs> it's religious nonsense. It's what people do, and they get into all of these little what you can do and what you can't do, and you know, all that kind of thing. And it's like, but it, remember, it started out, why did it start out? It started out with good motivations. It started out with people saying, I just want to love God. But then he gets into pickiness and pointing stuff out and you end up losing track about what it started out is it supposed to be about loving God just showing how much I love God and as a result of that I'm going to love people better and in many ways that's a picture of what happened over a couple of hundred years to the Pharisees at the time of Jesus and Jesus came and guess what he's saying to them God's not bothered about that stuff really he's bothered about your heart He's bothered about the, the loving him bit and the loving people bit, but he's not all that fussed about how far you're walking on the Sabbath. You know, because they would count each other's steps and they would tell each other off. And they would be like, you know, they'd set boundaries and you're, hang on, I'm sure you did a thousand and one. Oh no, I, I, I just doubled up. It'd be like, the people would be pointing each other out all the time. And, and they, Jesus would, would, would say, well, you know, you, you do, it's hypocrisy and they said oh no we're just trying to defend the Bible that's what we're doing we're defending Bible and he would say okay well let's look at the Bible these people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men they didn't like that <laughs> and um, so that struck him right off their Christmas card list except they didn't have Christmas so then they put him on the must be killed horribly list and set out to do that because Jesus was exposing the hard crust of formal religion that, that replaced the love for God and for people that it was meant to be really all about. So again, that's why it's surprising that this thing starts out the way it does. A Pharisee invites Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's home and got ready to eat because he was invited. That's the reason that he went. And the Pharisee, we find out later, is called Simon. What was Simon's motive? We don't know. Was he, was he wanting a fight? Was he looking for a confrontation? Was he checking that, to make sure Jesus washed his hands properly and did all the religious rituals properly like he should have done because sometimes they pulled him up on that? Maybe he wanted to set the young preacher straight on a few things. You know, trade Bible verses or something. Perhaps he was genuinely interested because some of the Pharisees were. This guy called Nicodemus came and he asked questions. Maybe that was what it was. We don't know. We, and we'll never know because even before it gets started properly, suddenly there's an uninvited guest who crashes the party. It says, when a sinful woman in that town found out that Jesus was there, she, she bought an expensive bottle of Perfume. We later find in another translation it says and she brought it in an alabaster jar. There's a couple of times when this kind of thing happened and we have to get, no, get confused with this. This is not Mary and Martha and this is a different woman. This is not, the, you know, some of you might have read that bit and you think it's, that. it's not a totally different person here. This is not Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is like a sinful woman. And we know she's a sinful woman because it actually describes her as such. 
It's a very specific word that's used. It basically, you could wrap up in the whole thing, promiscuous sexual sin. Everybody, when she walks in, will be like, sinner, look, look at her. What's she doing here? Then she came and stood behind Jesus. She cried and started to wash his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. The woman kissed his feet and poured the perfume on them. Now we have to understand, it's not like when you might have somebody round for your house for a meal and you kind of, you have you know, maybe a few people round. In those days, it was a bit more of an open house to say the least and people would have a meal but the doors and the windows would always, always be open. And if you kind of had a celebrity type of person coming, people would watch through the window and maybe ask questions. And they, some of them, like the doors would be open, some people would come in and just sit there. That's like a different kind of hospitality thing, but this is, that was how they did it. And uh, there would also be servants coming in and going out. There's a lot of people in the room. Imagine the place is packed out. And that evening, among all of the people at the party, suddenly the sinner walks in. And the word, as I say, is a specialised term, hamartalos. Hamartia is the Greek word for sin. So she's, she's basically defined by sin. She's defined by what she does sexually. She's either an adulterer or a prostitute. Whatever it is, she's not welcome. She's not welcome in the temple. She's not like one of the people who, who would be allowed in the synagogue. Thank you very much. What are you doing here? But to everybody's amazement, as I say, this, this woman just steps in from the crowd carrying this bottle of perfume. Some, some people think it would have been like in a, in a little flask around the neck and you know it's like an ornament as jewellery and but she comes and she breaks it over over and she pours out all of this perfume all over his feet that's what she wants to do is just to pour the perfume on Jesus and as she does it the tears start to fall and the tears come down in great big blobs and then she's like oh no my sinful dirty tears have fallen on his feet what am I going to do yeah and, and she gets her hair and she's like, oh, I'm really sorry. And starts to try and dry it off. And then, and then she's down by his feet. She starts to kiss his feet. And the word there used means it's repeatedly. She's like, just starts to kiss and kiss and kiss and kiss his feet. And she's kissing his feet and she's just carrying on, kissing his feet. Would you believe it? Just like, now, what's going on? What happens next? The first thing I noticed is that, actually, is that Jesus really knows what's going on in people's hearts. Because it says, Simon the Pharisee, it says there in the text, he said to himself, said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who this woman is and he would know what kind of woman she is. So for him, there's women and there's certain kinds of women. There's not just women. There's not just men and women, there's not just people, there's people and there's kinds of people. And he's one kind of person and she's another kind of person. So he's, he's put her in a different kind. It's not kind to do that. What kind of woman does he know that she is? He knows what she is, she's a sinner. Simon sees her, I, he knows a sinner when he sees one. There's a sinner. Sorry, I'm not pointing at anybody in particular when I do that. I'm kind of going around. <laughs> What's going on in, in Simon's heart? Judgment, cynicism, 
skepticism. He's actually got a low view of Jesus. He's not a prophet. And this is proof. And then it says, Jesus answered him. I love that. Because he didn't ask Jesus anything, but Jesus answered him anyway. And uh, he hasn't said anything. Jesus says, can I tell you a story? And Simon, ever the gracious host, is thinking, well, this should be interesting, fire away. So Jesus tells a story. And it shows that he's a prophet because he knows exactly what's going on. Simon he says there was a money lender, and this money lender had two clients, one of whom borrowed from him 500 denarii, and the other one, five denarii. Unfortunately, both of them fall on hard times economically and found themselves unable to repay the debt. So they went to the money lender, expecting, you know, he's going to send the boys around. He's going to do something, he's going to take the telly, he's going to do whatever. And they got this incredible unexpected response because the moneylender said, okay, I'll cancel the debt. Now let's make sure we understand something of what's going on here because I don't think many of us got paid recently in denarii. A denarii was the wage for one day's work for a labourer in those days. So they worked for six days a week, didn't they? So that's about 300 denarii a year. So 500 denarii, therefore, is 20 months' pay. Calculate that for yourself. 20 months' pay. It's quite a big deal, isn't it? Would you want to owe a moneylender that amount of money? Uh-oh. Nobody. I don't know if you've ever been in debt. I've had debt in the past. It's the most horrible thing. Horrible weight. It's terrible. Just figure out, as I say, how much you, owe, you, own, you earn, if you earn, in 20 months, and then I mean, imagine having to go to a money lender. You've got to that point. And of course, they, they, you know, what do they do? They rip people off. You know, and even on the telly these days, they smile and they make it all look really cool. And then you look at the percentage, the APR that you're going to pay back. It's horrible. They're not nice then when you can't pay it. They look nice. They're not nice. So this is an imaginary story. This doesn't happen. Money lenders don't let people off. Thank God for CAP. You know, we have a CAP centre here. Helps people like this. All the time. People go debt free. I love that. It's the, one of the best things that happens out of Ivy. And it happens all the time. People get free. Wow. That's why Christians should be against that kind of poverty for sure. And if you want, you can help with that. You, we, you know, we've got people who go out and actually counsel people and help people. Just, you have to be an expert in, in maths. You've just got to be able to love somebody and be kind to them and be a friend. Talk to Yvonne about it. She's done it a lot. Thank you, Yvonne. Imagine the sleepless nights that you would have over, neck, over two years' worth of debt and you can't pay. And the other person, for them, it was just two months, but that's bad enough, isn't it? And then... You go to the moneylender and he lets you both off. Wow. Notice also, it says, when the moneylender cancelled the debt, the words Jesus used are, he forgave them, because that's actually what they needed. They needed forgiveness. I talked this morning at Sharston about how forgiveness is about cancellation of a debt. It's a really good picture. But of course, there's always a cost. So remember, when the moneylender realises that he's not going to get his money back, the only way, who's going to pay the money? Nobody. So who's going to take on the debt? Himself. He, somebody has to pay the price. Forgiveness isn't just somebody saying, oh, forget it. There's always a cost. Somebody always has to pay. So Jesus says, listen, Simon, it's simple. 
Simple Simon. Let me apply this little story in case you didn't get it. Who do you think of those two people will be the most grateful? Which one do you think would express the most gratitude, the most love? Which one? And Simon's feeling a bit awkward at this point and says, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven most. They're going to they're gonna love most. Bingo, says Jesus. Absolutely right. Now, Simon, Jesus says, let me, let me point something out to you. When I arrived here tonight, you know, I don't know if you've noticed it's this woman, but when, it, when I came in, you didn't seem to really notice me because you didn't greet me with the customary kiss that you would give to a guest. And you didn't get anybody to come and wash my feet, even though it's dusty out there, and that's what you just do for people. You didn't give me water and a towel. You didn't bring the customary oil to anoint my head. In other words, you know, Simon, if this was UK culture, you didn't bother at all. It's like you didn't even come, if that was here, you didn't come to the door and say hello. You didn't come and say, can I take your coat? You didn't say, you didn't say anything. You didn't bother. You didn't say, you know, do you need to freshen up? Here's the bath. You, know, you, you did nothing to care about me. You didn't even bother with the basic polite customs, but this woman has been washing my feet with her tears. She's still doing it. She's, she's, she's crying all over me. And she's kissing my feet. She's not stopped yet. You can stop. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like she's just kissing me. It's like, do you get the point? He's saying, do you, do you know what grateful looks like? This is what grateful looks like. This is what worship looks like. This is what exaggerated, embarrassing, extravagant worship and love actually looks like. And I didn't see anything of that from you. You didn't even go through the motions. Simon, has it ever dawned on you that people who, are, who understand how wonderful grace and forgiveness really is, when they get that, sometimes they go a bit crazy. Sometimes they kind of go a bit over the top. Sometimes other people are going to look at that and kind of go, phew, you know, not so sure about that. That's, not, that's a bit informal. That's a bit, you know. It's like the reason, the reason you didn't do it is really because you couldn't be bothered with me. You've got such little conception of your own need of forgiveness, so little appreciation of who I am and the grace that I've brought to your home. And then he turns to this woman, and I love this, he turns to this woman and he says, you know, I want you to know something. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. I want you to go away in peace. You can go away in peace in another translation, it says that. And it's like, Jesus is just saying, you know, thank you. It's like he, he appreciates this. And that's the story. Now, are there any lessons that we can learn from this story? And in a few minutes, we're going to go into some worship. Thinking again about the parable and the, the reason that Jesus told the story and the setting in which he told it. Here's the first lesson I think we can learn. Number one, there are different kinds of sins because there's different kinds of sinners. What, who is the sinner in the story? pretty obvious that both of them are. Simon is the, just the one who doesn't know it. He doesn't know that he needs to be forgiven. It's equally obvious to us that the woman needs to be forgiven and she knows it, but there's no similarity between their lifestyles. You could, if you're using posh words, say that one of them was reprobate. That means basically her sin was totally in your face and obvious. And the other sin was respectable. Respectable. 
which leads to a very simple conclusion. There's two different kinds of sins and two different kinds of sinners. Reprobate sins get committed by reprobate sinners and they're really obvious and noticeable and there's a lot of mess around them. And respectable sins are committed by respectable sinners. Which one would you be most in danger of committing? And this is a hard lesson for us to learn, but to be honest with you, the more we've been in church, usually we can end up more like Simon the Pharisee. Even though we hate to think that that could be true of ourselves. You know, if you just hang around with the same people, and it get, you, just, you, you can end up with socially acceptable sins, that, or even church sins that we kind of think are all right. Now, some people make an incredible obvious mess of their lives, but that doesn't mean that people who look like they've got it more together are actually any less guilty and in need of forgiveness. I went to see the new Jurassic Park film the other night. It was pretty good. And it's all about, it starts off all about a volcano. And basically, that's, you know, there has to be something that gets the dinosaurs free, doesn't there? So it's a volcano. And, uh, and it's not too much of a spoiler, that's early on. But what, what's a volcano? It's a mountain, and it's got this lava inside of it, and, and there's this crust, and then the lava starts to burst out, doesn't it? And you can have like cracks and fissures start to form, and bits of lava come out, and then eventually it erupts. And I was thinking, we can be a bit like the volcanoes, because there can be an outward crust of conformity on our lives that looks like everything's okay, and that's like the Pharisee. Whereas the prostitute, the lava's all over the place. It's just erupting in really obvious ways. But the lava, the sin, is inside a Pharisee and in a prostitute and inside people. It's inside all of us. We all have stuff on the inside that we didn't really want anybody to see. And if it's, it's hard for us to understand or admit, it's only because we don't understand that sin is not initially action against people, but it's actually attitude toward God. And then it works itself outwards. Now the crust might form quite well and look okay to the outside. It might look like it's all pretty dormant and it's all okay. And the lava hardly ever bursts and erupts out. But sometimes you get a little, psh, little, a little bit of it bursts out. I, we actually went years ago to a, a, a volcano. Like an idiot for some reason. I saw this hot stuff. It looked fairly hot. And I put my foot on it to see if it was hot. Bad idea. It was hot. It's lava. Just, yeah? Just so we know. But we can have, psh, we can have like pride. Psh, judgment. Psh, unloving. Psh, independent of God. Psh, socially acceptable stuff. You know, not too bad. Nobody's going to really notice it that much unresolved anger pointing the finger at somebody else away from me those people Psh, it's like lava and a lot of this can happen it can be down to where you, you know what happened to you along the way the cracks show in different ways with different people because as it says there, there's different kinds of sins because there's different kinds of sinners and I don't know what it was that made Simon the Pharisee a Pharisee but maybe he was born in that kind of a family and I don't know what the, made the woman who was a sinner, a prostitute or an adulteress, but I've known a lot of prostitutes over the years. When I was in the police, I 
arrested a lot of prostitutes and I got to know a lot of prostitutes when, in the plain clothes and subsequently over the years I've got connected to things like Hope for Justice and uh, SAFE and these amazing charities that go and help people and you know what, it's not, nothing like Pretty Woman that ain't the real story, it's not like that there isn't people generally that are choosing that as a just that this is you know me being free and it's a lifestyle choice you know maybe she was abused as a as a girl some scholars think maybe she was divorced by her husband because the woman had no power at all in that society the husband just divorced and he accused her she would be ostracized and set apart and, and put as being a sinner just because she was thrown away by some man so there's all kinds of sins. The second lesson we can learn from the story is this. Is there's one way for everybody to be forgiven and it's Jesus and Jesus is the way and he's come to make the way and he's come to pay the price that we couldn't pay, the debt of sin, so that now God can forgive and will forgive our sin. Whether it's reprobate or respectable, it's all sin and it can all be forgiven by Jesus Christ. And the way that it can be forgiven is the same way that the money lender dealt with the debt. Somebody paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Jesus took on the debt of our sin, yours and mine, on the cross. He counted the cost and he said, I'll pay it. And then he died on the cross and he said, it is finished. It's paid in full to set us free. Another lesson here is the way, the only way you receive forgiveness is by faith. Because he looked at the woman and he said, woman, your faith has saved you. Not trying harder, saying sorry, not crying all over me, really. It's your faith, your trust, that you would walk in here and, and publicly just bow down to me. And that, your, that kind of faith, that's what saves people. Your sins are forgiven. It's like you, you couldn't earn it, you couldn't pay for it, it's grace, but if you come with humble hands, you find yourself a recipient of that kind of love. You've got a, you've got a clean slate, be free. How do I know if I've had my sins forgiven? How do you know if you've had your sins forgiven? I'll tell you. You don't worry about them anymore. You know, I had a bill three years ago. It got paid. It's in the bin. It's gone. I don't go back and get it out and start worrying about that bill. It was paid. Why would, I go, why would I worry about a paid bill? If you know you've been forgiven, don't worry about it. Because you know what? God isn't. Jesus already paid for it. Be free. You can walk out of here different than how you walked in. I think that woman walked out, whoops, different than she walked in, do you? I think she did. Because now she's got no need to pretend, nothing to prove. She knows she's loved. And the final thing is this, and uh, if we can get the band to come up now. The, uh, it's perfectly understandable and totally appropriate for people who experience that kind of love and peace to be extravagantly grateful. I mean crazy, if they want to be. In fact, if you've never known what it's like to just worship full on, my question to you is, do you love much? Have you ever figured out that you've been forgiven much? Because if we don't think we've been, not been forgiven much, we're probably not going to love much. But people who know they've been forgiven much, there's a different thing that erupts on the inside. It's not lava and sin anymore. It's, it's just like gratitude. 
that starts to bubble up on the inside of you. And, it, and it's like, when I think how much it costs for Jesus to come to the cross and to die for my sins, Anthony Delaney's sins, to cancel my debt, the, the, the obvious stuff, the reprobate stuff, the respectable stuff. And, and you know, to, for us just to come in church and kind of go, yeah, yeah, you know, Jesus died, I'm forgiven. Ooh, do you have to sing that one again? You know, I, I don't really like that one. I don't, like, I don't like that one. I like, let's sing another one. It's like, ha, ah, slap yourself. You know, do you, those who've been forgiven much, love much. Put a thermometer, if you like, in your heart over that. We can't help it, you see. Sometimes when, you, when, you, when I think where my life would have taken me without Jesus, when I think of the path that I was on, the way that sin was just misleading me and leading me towards a, just hellbound, that's where I was going, without a shadow of a doubt. When you realise that you've been love much, then you don't actually need a worship leader. They're great. I love these guys because I think, you know what, I look around on this stage before and I thought, these are, you know, a lot of these guys are like professional musicians and they come and they want to do their very, very best. They give their very, very best to help us and lead us in worship. But they're not the worship guys. They'd be like, we're the worship guys, aren't we? You know, and they, they come and they practice because they want to give their very best. Every time they come and do worship, they want to give their very best. And I want to be more like that. I want to give, give it my very best. So sometimes it will look like extravagance. And to be honest with you, it doesn't. I just wonder what kind of spirit it is and whether it's like more like the Pharisee. You know, sometimes I, I, I travel around a bit and I go in different churches and worship can be different, but sometimes I will go into churches and it's kind of just a bit dead and formal and going through the motions and all of that. And I'm like, what kind of a house is this? Do we know Jesus is in the house? Do we know Jesus is in the house? And if I, if I don't remember how much I've been loved, if I don't understand sin, how am I really going to get hold of that grace and celebrate it? So um, why don't you stand if you want to and we're going to worship again. And, and here's the question really. Who am I usually like when I'm with Jesus? Of those two. If I could push you in one of those directions. I'm a more like Simon. I'm a more like the sinful woman. Because Jesus is here. Thank you Lord that you are here because we invited you. And you always come. And Lord, I don't want my worship to be cold and correct and sterile and sparing and stingy and religious and formal and dying and just all of that. Lord, I don't want to be bothered. Please break off bothered about what other people think. That other people might think it's a bit over the top or a bit excessive or, or too extravagant or too showy or something like that, Lord. Because even if there's, we all have mixed motives, but whatever we're doing, I just want to do it for you. I want to focus on you. I want to love you. Lord, I want to be more grateful for you. Thank you for loving me much. I want to love you back much, much more. I want to love you much. Tell me, just tell him, just to speak it out. Just tell him, I love you much. I want to love you more, something like that. Just start to, start to talk to him about how much you love him. Tell him how much you love him. Just, you know, our worship can be like kissing the feet of Jesus. It can be like pouring out that, that anointing on him 
as he pours out his anointing and his fragrance and his love on us in this place. Thank you for your fragrance filling this place, Lord. I just want to love you, Lord, more and more. I want to be, be like spilling out the perfume. Whether we're brilliant singers or not, you're not interested in that. It's your heart. It's our hearts, Lord, that are expressing that we've been loved much by you. And we want, Lord, if tears start to fall, they're falling on you. We want to anoint you, Lord, in our worship. We want to have... Now, just time now to... Before this night's done, seal this time with with just passionate, full-on worship that's absolutely Jesus-focused. Get your mind off everything else. Take our minds off everything else just for this time, Lord. Let's go laser-focused in on giving you our very best. I don't know what it looks like for you. Just imagine, if you like, you're holding on to that kind of perfume. Something, it might be costly to pour it out, whatever it is. But you just come to Jesus now. He's lying there. Think of who he is and how much he loves you. And, and he sees you and he notices you and he knows you and he welcomes you and he smiles at you and he's glad you're here. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.